This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, one hour of old-time radio crime every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Our first story comes from Sherlock Holmes this week. We'll hear the Harley Street murders. His story from May 19, 1947. After that, it's Casey, crime photographer, and the Laughing Killer. That episode aired May 8, 1947. Cremel Hair Tonic and Cremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Well, it's Monday evening again and time for the weekly visit with our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. I'm sure he's expecting us, so let's join him, shall we? Good evening, Dr. Watson. Ah, there you are. Mr. Bell, drop your usual chair and settle down. Hmm. That's it. Thanks, Dr. Watson. And now, how about tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? I think it'll intrigue you, Mr. Bell, for in it, Sherlock Holmes once again crossed swords with his most famous opponent, the man whom Holmes referred to as a Napoleon of crime, the redoubtable Professor Moriarty. And who came off best on this occasion? Supposing you let me tell the story from the beginning, my boy, and then you can decide the matter for yourself. <laughs> right, Dr. Watson. But before you get too far into the story tonight, perhaps I might... Uh... Have a word with our listeners? Of course, Mr. Bowen. While you're doing that, I'll get my pipe lighted. So many men today who use only water to keep their hair in place find that after the water dries... Those stubborn hairs and cowlicks get out of place, and their hair never looks neatly groomed or attractive. Yet these men are reluctant to plaster their hair down with a heavy, greasy hairdressing. And who can blame them? That's why I urge you to try Cremel hair tonic. This highly specialized hair tonic has just enough light oil to keep hair handsomely groomed all day long. Every hair in place. Cremel gives hair a rich, healthy-looking luster, too. Yet it never leaves hair looking or feeling greasy or sticky. This is because Cremel contains a special combination of hair grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair tonic. After you apply Cremel, just run your hand over your hair. Notice how delightfully clean your hair feels. Notice how no greasy film comes off on your hand or hatband. And how the ladies admire that natural, well-groomed look which Cremel always gives. Yes, Cremel gives your hair a handsome, clean-cut appearance. As if your barber had just combed it. And it helps keep it that way all day long. K-R-E-M-L, Kreml hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the case of the Harley Street murders? Well, Mr. Bell, that story began on a December evening at the turn of the century. I had occasion to visit a certain doctor that night, I remember. And after an early dinner in Baker Street, I was able to persuade Sherlock Holmes to walk with me on my mission to nearby Harley Street. Holmes was never very keen on indulging in exercise for its own sake, and as we tramped through the frosty streets, his noticeably bad humor made me realize that I might have been wiser to have left him at home amid the material comforts of our flat. Finally, he turned to me. We should have taken a hansom cab, Watson. Why, Holmes? It's not more than a ten-minute walk. A cab would have taken three. The remaining seven minutes might have been more comfortably employed at home. Rubbish. This walk after dinner is good for one. It aids the digestion. My digestion is as uncomplicated as that of a horse. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to understand the hearty Englishman who believes that a resounding plunge into ice-cold water or running round Hyde Park on a rainy day in an attenuated pair of shorts are the obvious ways of inducing glowing health and a happy digestion. Personally, I think such asinine behavior is merely conducive to double pneumonia. Then why did you come with a... Because you said you were going to call on Dr. Ingleby. You're familiar with the name? Oh, yes. Then perhaps you'd be rather startled to learn that Dr. Ingleby is a woman. No, Watson. I was well aware of the fact. Oh, well, how do you know? Because I read an article of hers in the current medical bulletin. It was signed Sarah Ingleby, M.D. I've yet to meet a man with the Christian name of Sarah, therefore oh. I deduce she's a woman. Amazing deduction. Quite amazing. But you haven't told me why you're calling on her tonight, Watson. Well, I knew her slightly at the University of London. Nice woman, though I never can understand why a woman wants to be a doctor. Anyway, I'm on the committee for collecting a present for old Professor Taylor on his retirement. 
She was one of his pet students, and I'm hoping for a substantial contribution from the lady. Hello. That was the police, was it? Yes, and look at the crowd up there ahead. Come on, Watson. Come on, come on, then. Keep back there. Oh, hello. Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson. Evening, gentlemen. Good evening. What's wrong, Lestrade? Murder. That's what's wrong, Mr. Holmes. Murder? Yeah. Come and look what we found at the foot of the basement steps half an hour ago. Get out of the way and keep them back, constable. There you are, gentlemen. Take a look at that. Great Scott. A well-dressed man and lying in a pool of blood. Yeah, he was well-dressed all right when we found him. Had a nice shiny knife sticking through the third button of his waistcoat. Has he been identified? Yes, Mr. Holmes. He's Dr. Marsden. His consulting room is on the second floor. Must have been stabbed as he came out of the front door and then chucked down this basement. Hmm. Was he robbed? No, sir. His wallet had three five-pound notes in it. They weren't touched. Nor was the uh, gold watch and chain he was wearing. Have you been able to unearth any clue as to motive, Inspector? Not a blooming one, Doctor. Uh, just been talking with his nurse. From what she says, he didn't have an enemy in the world. No robbery, no apparent motive, no clues, eh, Lestrade? Provoking problem. Well, come on, Watson. We must be on our way. What? You, you mean that you're going to leave? Oh, I thought this would be a case after your own heart, Mr. Holmes. I was hoping you'd give me a bit of help. No, Lestrade, it's no concern of mine. Let Scotland Yard do its own work for once. Come on, Watson. The doctor we're interested in is alive and a woman. Oh, well, I don't think Dr. Ingleby will see you, gentlemen. She didn't tell me she's expecting anyone. Nevertheless, my good woman, I think if you mention my name, she'll gladly give us a few moments. Well, you can come in. Oh, it's very kind of you. What were the names again, please? Uh, Dr. Watson and uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Who is it, Agnes? Yes, a Dr. Watson and a Mr. Holmes, ma'am. I told him that you weren't in the habit yes, of residing. all right, Agnes. Uh, you can leave us. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> but perhaps you, you remember me, Dr. Ingleby. Yes, indeed, Dr. Watson. At the university, wasn't it? <laughs> well, do come into the sitting room, won't you? And you, Mr. Holmes. Thank you. Mr... Sherlock Holmes, isn't it? Yes, Dr. Ingleby. I'm flattered to meet so famous a man. Thank you, madam. And uh, may I say how glad I am to have this opportunity of making your acquaintance. Thank you. I read your article in the current medical journal with intense interest. Your invention of a new type of surgical knife that applies a local anesthetic at the same time as it cuts should prove extremely valuable. I wish the Royal College of Surgeons would agree with you, Mr. Holmes. Oh, you've encountered opposition from them, Dr. Ingleby? Great opposition. It seems odd that every stride in medical science should be countered by opposition of the very people it would assist. But I'm sure you haven't come here to discuss my new discovery, gentlemen. Well, as a matter of fact, Dr. Ingleby, I'm on the committee that's raising a fund for a parting present for old Professor Taylor. Oh. You were a student of his, and I thought Oh, yes, that of course. Uh, I'd like to contribute, Dr. Watson. Uh, how would uh, ten guineas be? Oh, that's, that's very generous of you. It's Dr. McKinney to see you, Mum. Oh, David, how nice to see you. Hello, Sarah, my dear. Oh, let me introduce you. Uh, Dr. David McKenna, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, How and do do? Dr. Watson. How are you, Doctor? Did you hear about the trouble down the street, Sarah? You mean about Dr. Marsden? Aye. Yes. But please don't talk about it, David. It's too awful. Oh, Dr. Watson, I'll just write that check oh, for you now. Thank you so much. And Dr. McKenna, it's fortunate that I met you here. I was planning to call on you in the next few days. Surely not in my professional capacity. Your friend here is an excellent doctor. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. No, Dr. McKenna, I was curious to talk to you since I heard that you were the executor of the Gilbraith Estates. Uh, have you been having any difficulties, may I ask? Funny you should ask me that. For the past week, I've been absolutely pestered by some confounded mathematics professor who wants to buy the Cornish property. But I'm not going to settle. I'm keeping the place in trust for the ear. A professor of mathematics, huh? Very interesting. Tell me, Dr. McKenna, have any attempts been made on your life recently? Well, you're positively psychic, Holmes. On Wednesday, I was nearly run down by a horse van in Welbeck Street. I swear it wasn't an accident. Mm -hmm. On Thursday night, I was assaulted by a footpad as I was approaching my house. 
Fortunately, I'm something of a boxer, and I was able to drive him away. I see. And only this morning, as I was walking down Piercy, a brick came down from the roof of one of the houses and shattered to pieces at my feet. Good Lord, you've, uh, you've informed the police, of course. No, I haven't. I can take care of myself. Then please let me warn you, Dr. McKenna. Watch yourself carefully. Until the estate is settled, receive no private visits from strangers. Mr. Holmes, may I ask what knowledge you have of my affairs? I'm afraid that at the moment, sir, I'm not in a position to be any more explicit. However, I repeat my warning with the utmost gravity. I'm sorry you're being very mysterious. Here's your check, Dr. Watson. Oh, thank you very much indeed, Dr. Ingleby. That's very, very kind of you. Watson, I think we should be on our way. Good evening, Dr. Ingleby. Good night, Dr. McKenna. Good night, good, good night. night. Holmes. Watson. Holmes. I've never seen you so, so confoundedly mysterious. Listen. Curious chap, that Sherlock Holmes. Fancy his warning me like that. His profession. He sends murder everywhere. Except under his own nose. Extraordinary remark. Get your coat, Watson. Let's get back to Baker Street. This is quite a three-pipe problem. You know, Holmes, I'm suspicious of that woman. She behaved very queerly when the murder was mentioned, and that remark of hers a moment ago was very odd, too. You're leaping to conclusions, my dear Watson. At the moment, I'm much more interested in the fact that the mysterious mathematics professor in whose path Dr. McKenna stands is undoubtedly our old friend, the professor. My Archie? Right. You think that he was connected with that murder tonight, too? Indirectly, yes, Watson. And I fear that before we unravel this complicated skein of circumstances, several more members of the medical profession are doomed to die. Extra, get your papa, get your late-night final, new murders in Arley Street. Extra, late-night final, another doctor murdered in Arley Street. Evening, papa, extra. Fifth Doctor slain in Arley Street. Extra, extra. Get your piper. You know, Holmes, it's extraordinary the way these medical murders are baffling the police. I expect Lestrade will be around soon to try and interest you in them again. But I am interested, Watson. Oh? The crimes are wanton, apparently motiveless, yet dexterously executed. A fascinating field for speculation. But I'm even more interested in the probable next move of Professor Moriarty... I know that Dr. McKenna stands in his way. Moriarty, so I've discovered, covets the Cornish portions of the Gobraith Estates. Oh, does he? He has certain plans connected with the caves there. Oh, perhaps he does, but I must say that my interests lie here in London. Five murders in a week. All of the victims are doctors. <laughs> Quite frankly, I'm beginning to feel a little uneasy myself. Quite understandable. Uh, by the way, didn't the new copy of the bulletin of the Royal College of Surgeons arrive in the post? Yes, yes, I, I just skimmed through it here. Wait a minute. Ah, there you are. Thank you. Aha. Just as I thought. Listen to this, Watson. Hand me the new copy of the Bulletin of the Royal College of Surgeons, Carter, will you? Here it is, Professor Moriarty. Aha. Just as I thought, Carter. I had already concluded that these much-publicized medical murders were in all likelihood committed by a half-madman who felt himself persecuted by doctors. Oh. But why these particular doctors, I ask myself? Here is the answer, Carter. The names of all the murdered men are on one committee. Illuminating, Carter, isn't it? Yes, it is, Professor. <laughs> Very illuminating. Illuminating, Watson, isn't it? Yes, it is, Holmes. <laughs> All the murdered men were on one committee. A committee that emphatically rejected as impractical Dr. Sarah Ingleby's invention. Then it begins to look as if I was right in suspecting her. Yes, old chap, it seems that your guesswork hit upon the truth. But now we have to work fast. Our first step should be obvious. To call on Dr. McKenna, I suppose. He's the only member of that medical committee who is still living. He is undoubtedly in grave danger... But I've warned him to be on his guard. No, Watson, our next step is to strike at the source of this deviltry. We'll call on Dr. Sarah Ingleby at once. But you can't see the doctor, Mr. Holmes. 
She went out not ten minutes ago. Did she leave alone? No, sir. A man came to see her. He stayed talking for half an hour and and they went out together. Mm. Can you describe the man? Let me see. He was very tall and thin with an eye forehead and deep-set eyes. Professor Moriarty. Precisely. Thank you. You've been extremely helpful. (laughs) Glad to have been of service, I'm sure, gentlemen. What do you suppose Moriarty has to do with Dr. Ingleby, Holmes? I shall suppose nothing, Watson. One of the reasons that Moriarty and I have so often ended in a stalemate is that each of us is eminently capable of reconstructing the processes of the other's mind. Let me think. I were Moriarty. Great heavens, Watson. We must act at once. Moriarty has just secured the most dangerous weapon of his entire career. Just a moment, we'll rejoin Sherlock Holmes as he endeavors to solve the strange case of the Harley Street murders. Men, if you want to be a success and look successful in life, remember that well-groomed hair adds a great deal to a man's appearance. And one of the first requisites of handsome, healthy-looking hair is a hygienic scalp. So start at once and take better care of the hair you've got. And if you're smart, you'll use Cremel hair tonic. No other hair tonic keeps the hair more neatly in place without looking or feeling greasy. But men, Kreml does lots more than keep hair looking handsome. Kreml's light oils have a grand lubricating effect on a dry scalp. At the same time, Kreml removes itchy loose dandruff. Notice how alive, how tingling your scalp feels. And you like to massage Kreml on your scalp because it's such a clean product. It never feels greasy or sticky. And if your hair, like so many men's, is so dry that it breaks off and falls when you comb it, Kreml actually helps condition the hair in that it makes it feel softer, more pliable, and look as if it had some body to it. So men for handsomely groomed hair and a more hygienic scalp use Kreml daily. Buy a bottle of Kreml at any drugstore. Ask for an application at your barber's. K-R-E-M-L, Kreml Hair Tonic. That famous modern hair tonic, which is preferred among America's top executives and most successful men. Now, Dr. Watson, you certainly had me on the edge of my chair there. What happened next? Well, Mr. Bell, supposing I pick up my story at the exact place I left off. Sherlock Holmes turned to me and said... Yes, Watson. Moriarty has just secured the most dangerous weapon of his entire career. Come along. A weapon? I don't understand, Holmes. I warned Dr. McKenna to admit no stranger to his house because I know that Moriarty aims at his death. But the person he is sure to admit is the woman to whom he's so obviously devoted. Dr. Sarah Ingleberg. Yes, Watson. The pattern begins to become frighteningly clear. And if Moriarty is half the brain I know him to be, I can just imagine how devilishly persuasive he's being at this very moment. So you see, my dear Dr. Ingleby, that your real enemy is not that committee. But they banned the use of my new discovery, Professor Moriarty. They ruined my life's work. And so I made them pay with their own lives. Quite so, my dear. And I sympathize and admire the way you uh, erased them. Masterly, quite masterly. But they were mere tools. It is Dr. McKenna who was behind that committee. I can't believe that David would have done that. He told me he loved me. All the more reason why he was jealous of your scientific attainments. He resents women in this field. He told me that himself. He planned to destroy you as a doctor. He told you that? That and much more that I couldn't repeat to you, my dear. Then he must die, too. Of course. I can't thank you enough for opening my eyes, Professor. Now I know what I must do. But you must have steady nerves for so great a task, my dear. Yes. I have here some capsules of my own manufacture. I think if you'll take one, you'll find it extremely efficacious. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. (laughs) And now I shall call on David McKenna...
Dr. McKenna, you must believe me when I tell you that you're in desperate danger. But, Mr. Yes, yes, Doctor. That's why we came directly to you after calling on, on, uh, on the person that we believe to be the murderer. And who is that person, may I ask? I'm afraid I can't answer that question for you at the moment, Dr. McKenna. Uh, not until my strong suspicion is confirmed. I can tell you, however, that a dangerous criminal by the name of Moriarty has a new and perfect weapon in his power. Weapon? Yes. A lunatic whose murderous hate could be turned against you. Well, it all sounds very melodramatic. Perhaps it does, but you'll be wise to listen to my friend. I wouldn't be at all surprised if the murderer is approaching your house now. What? And it's someone that you would admit unquestioningly, and who would strike you down on the spot. I must implore you to retire, Dr. McCann. But what are you and Dr. Watson going to do? Bait a trap, here in your sitting room. Oh, very well. I suppose I'd be stupid to ignore your warning. But I wish you could be a little more specific. I'll be in my library on the first floor. What bait are you going to use for the trap, Holmes? You, old chap. Huh? Me? Yes. You're not unlike Dr. McKenna in build. And I'm sure you will have little difficulty in imitating his Scotch accent. If uh, you sit at the writing desk here, with your back to the door, so... I'll turn down the gaslight... When Dr. McKenna's visitor arrives, I shall be in hiding behind this curtain. And in the meanwhile? We must wait, Watson. And I don't think we shall have to wait very long. There's the bell now. Yes. The maid's going to answer the door. I'll slip behind these curtains... Keep up the deception as long as you can, Watson. We want to catch her red-handed. But be careful. Undoubtedly, she's carrying a knife. Always give me the best jobs, don't you? They're coming. All right, all right. Come on. Who's that? David. Is that you? Hey, sir, that's me. Excuse me. I'll, I'll just finish this letter. You'll and... never finish it, David. No, you don't. Stop. You never. It's all right, Watson. I've got her out. Oh, I can't hear it. <laughs> What kind of a trap is this? One that has caught you very neatly, Dr. Ingleby. I'll take that knife, thank you. You admit that you came here to kill Dr. McKenna. Of course I do. Why did you fool stop me? I'd have killed him just like I killed the others. (laughs) If you could have seen their stupid faces. A knife so clean and easy. (laughs) It really was surprisingly easy. I gloried in killing them. But this last attempt... This last attempt wasn't your own idea, was it? No, it wasn't. I must say I didn't believe that David was against me, too. Then what made you change your mind? Change... Change... Mind? Yes. Who suggested the idea to you? Yes. Professor... Uh, Oh, Professor... Found it. She's fainted just as she was going to give us vital information. That's the trouble with women. They get so highly emotional. That's not the trouble with this woman, Watson. She didn't faint. She's dead. Hello, Miss Rose. Dr. Watson. Good morning, Miss Rose. Good morning, Inspector. Yeah. I thought you'd be coming around to see us at Scotland Yard before you were through. Going to crow over us, I suppose. No, Lestrade, I have no intention of crowing. I blame myself for not having solved the case sooner. Well, the newspapers don't blame you, Holmes. I've never seen such eulogies. Yes, Doctor. And once again, the Yard gets all the brickbats. Wish you'd come in on the case with, uh, with me when I first asked you, Mr. Holmes. Well, no good crying over spilt milk. Case is closed. Yeah, with you and Dr. Watson both hearing her confession, all that's left to do is to have a statement drawn up and have you gentlemen sign it. Eh, too bad she went and committed suicide, though. I still don't understand how she did it while we were holding her arms. I quite agree, Watson. 
That's why I came to Scotland Yard. Oh, you want to see the post-mortem report, don't you, Mr. Holmes? It's here on the desk somewhere. She used cyanide, you know. Well, that's the fastest-acting poison known. True, Watson. But I'll swear she didn't swallow anything while we were holding her. That's what puzzles me. Ah, here's the doctor's report, Mr. Holmes. Enlightening. Most enlightening. Well, why'd you say that, Mr. Holmes? Dr. Ingleby did not commit suicide. She, too, was murdered. Murdered? She died in full view of us. How could she have been murdered? Look at the post-mortem report. Something else significant besides poison was found. Look. It says here that uh, heavy traces of gelatine were found in the stomach. Precisely. There's the answer. Gelatine? Well, what does that prove? Merely that the woman had eaten some jellied pudding. Yes, exactly. But remember, gelatin is also used to coat capsules. But that still doesn't explain how she swallowed it before our very eyes. That's just the point, Watson. She didn't. Remember that they were extensive traces of gelatin. A capsule of extremely thick gelatin would not dissolve for some time. Obviously, Moriarty gave her the capsule. She swallowed it. And before the gelatine had melted and released the deadly poison, she had ample time to commit another murder had we not prevented her. As ingenious and diabolical a murder as ever I encountered. Christ Scott, Sir Moriarty used her as a tool to kill Dr. McKenna, knowing that she herself would drop dead before she could incriminate him. Exactly, Watson. Well, blow me down, Mr. Holmes. (laughs) Professor Moriarty's outwitted you again. I wouldn't quite say that, Lestrade. I'd call it another stalemate. You know, Mr. Holmes, I begin to think you're never going to catch him for us. I refuse to share your pessimism, Inspector. This has been another stalemate, yes. But you mark my words. Moriarty's reign will not last forever. There will come a day, Lestrade. Yes, there will come a day... When you want to look your radiant best, you naturally want your hair to appear just as beautiful and lustrous as it can be. So here's a tip from some of the world's most divinely beautiful girls, Powers Models, girls who are famous for their enchantingly lovely silken sheen hair. We glamour bathe our hair with cremel shampoo. And I want to state right here and now that no other shampoo leaves the hair more sparkling clean. Really, girls... You'll be amazed how cremel shampoo reveals all your hair's natural gleaming luster. It leaves hair shimmering with brilliant highlights that last for days. Cremel shampoo is not a cream shampoo, not a soapless shampoo, not a harsh soap, not a drying detergent. After a cremel shampoo, the hair fairly radiates natural glossy highlights. And cremel shampoo never dries or breaks the hair. In fact, it even has a built-in oil base which helps keep the hair from becoming dry or brittle. How right you are, Mr. Bell. Cremel shampoo leaves the hair so much softer, silkier, with satin smoothness. The hair holds a wave better, too. So, ladies, buy a bottle of cremel shampoo at any drug counter. See how easy it is to have naturally lustrous hair, a vision of shining beauty. K-R-E-M-L, cremel shampoo. Now, Dr. Watson, what about next week? Well, now, let me see. Next week, I think I'll tell you how Holmes, by a brilliant deductive reasoning, proved that what appeared to be a simple case of accidental drowning was in reality a diabolical murder. I call it the adventure of the submerged baronet. Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Final Problem. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of Universal International Pictures. Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. The Sherlock Holmes series is produced by Tom McKnight, with original music composed and conducted by Alex Steinert. This is Joseph Bell, speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo, and inviting you to be with us next week at this same time when Dr. Watson will tell us about the adventure of the submerged baronet.
is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. The Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation brings you Crime Photographer. Hello, Ethelbert. What are you reading? Hiya, Casey. I'm just brushing up on the baseball scores. Is that so? I didn't know you were a baseball fan. Oh, sure. I follow the Dodgers every year. Hmm. Who's your favorite team, Casey? Well, I usually root for the Yankees. Uh, How about you, Tony? Who, me? Why, naturally, I root for Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tony Marvin. Every week at this time, the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, and its more than 10,000 employees bring you another adventure of Casey, crime photographer, ace cameraman who covers the crime news of a great city. Written by Alonzo Dean Cole, our adventure for tonight, The Laughing Killer. Midnight, and the Blue Note Cafe is doing its usual brisk midnight business. From the service end of the bar, a waiter beckons to Ethelbert, the head bartender. What do you want, Walter? Uh, the guy at that table by the wall wants another drink, Ethelbert. How about it? He's licked to the eyes. Hmm. You better collect his bill and ease him into a cab. Uh, okay. Wait a minute. Huh? His face is familiar. You know who he is, Walter? No. He's a new one to me. I can't place him, but he's a clean-cut-looking guy. Yeah. See, he gets a right cab, Walter, with a driver you know, huh? Okay. If I can get him out and into a cab. Hi, Ethelbert. Well, Casey. Hello. Evening, Miss Williams. You two just put the paper to bed? Yeah. Nothing to do now but go home and get some shut-eye. Oh, and how I'll go for that. Oh, I'm tired. You and me both, Annie. Uh, Ethelbert, give me a pack of cigarettes, will you? Same old brand? Sure, same old brand. What do you think? Here. Pick up what you need. Why you got a bullet mixed up with that silver? A bullet? Uh, oh. Oh, Captain Logan gave that to Casey today. Yeah. This 32 caliber shell was in an automatic that killed a guy last month, pal. Casey helped Logan get the killer, so that cartridge is to remember him by. A little slug just like that bump someone off, huh? A 32 is big enough when it gets inside you. Oh, don't go into details. I can imagine. I don't want to go home. I look. I want another drink. Please, mister. Oh, no, I don't want to go. One home. of your customers isn't listening to reason, Ethelbert. Uh, uh, Ethelbert, hey. Hmm? Isn't that drunk Artie Maddox? Artie Maddox? Yeah. Sure, I knew I'd seen him before. When did he get out of the big house, Casey? Last month on parole. I meant to look him up, but I haven't had time. You mean that nice-looking man is an ex-convict? Yeah, and he was sent up for murder, Miss Williams. Well, not quite. That was manslaughter. A lot of doubt that he was guilty even of that, too. Mm, That's so. What? His case was hot news before you come to this town, Miss Williams. Artie Maddox was an orchestra leader. He had one of the best sweet bands in the country, honey. Before he met some dame who calls herself Gypsy Hibbert. Gypsy Hibbert? Oh, the uh, the big uh, blues singer. That's right. You can shorten the gypsy part of her name to plain Gyp. That'd describe her better. What happened? Well, she was singing in a roadhouse, and Artie heard her. He hired her... Gave her a feature spot with his band. Then he went nuts about her and wanted to marry her. But she just kind of strung him along in order to meet more important guys. One of which was Phil Blaney. At that time, Annie, five years ago, Blaney was the big shot in the gambling racket here. You mean he had the spot that Lou Carboni has now? Uh Uh-huh. Carboni then was merely Blaney's first assistant. Well, Blaney went for the gypsy gal in a big way. One night, the cops got a phone call from Gypsy who said there'd been an accident in her apartment. When they got there, they found Blaney with a bullet in his head. Artie Maddox was in the apartment. He said Blaney had pulled a gun on him, that there'd been a struggle. The gun went off in Blaney's direction. Of course, Gypsy told the same story. A lot of folks, including the cops, were more than half convinced it was she who'd really shot Blaney in cold blood. And that Artie Maddox told the story he did to protect her. Yeah. 
But she came out of the mess undamaged, and poor Artie went to jail. And he hadn't been in the big house six months when Gypsy Hibbard married Lou Carboni, who'd fallen hair to Blaney's racket. Nice girl. Yeah. So nice that even a rat like Carboni couldn't stand for her long. They separated a little while afterwards. Gypsy got a divorce and heavy alimony. Well, Artie Maddox is out on parole now. That's all. I don't want to go Except that he won't stay out if the parole board hears he's getting plastered. If those waiters are going to get him out of here, it looks as though they'll have to carry him out. Hey, maybe I could straighten him oh, out. Oh, now, Casey, don't start one of your Boy Scout acts. Huh? Walter will put him in a cab, Casey. Well, yeah, what happens after he's put out of the cab? I'm going Please over there. Alone. I don't want to go home. I now, say. look here, mister. Uh, I'll take care of him, Walter. What? You know this guy, Casey? Sure. Remember me, Artie? Uh, sure. You're a cop, ain't you? No. I'm no cop. But you know, it wouldn't be good if a cop saw you right now. A guy on parole is supposed to behave himself. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just celebrating something. Something awful funny that's happened. <laughs> you never guess the funny thing that's happened. Yeah, well, right? Suppose I run you home, huh? You tell <laughs> me about it on the way. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell anybody. But you... <laughs> You can read about it in the papers tomorrow. Okay, but let me take you home anyway. Now you can read it in the papers. Hey, say, you work on a paper. I remember you now. You're Casey. That's right. Uh, Casey, good old Casey. I'll buy you a drink. Uh, no, no, hey, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait hey, wait a minute. We'll have one later. We'll have one later. You got a bottle at home, Artie? Uh, sure, I got a bottle well, at home. Well, that's fine. Suppose you take me there and we'll have a talk about old times, that's huh? Hard. I'd like to talk tonight. I'd like to talk. Where are you living? For Buckingham Apartments. It's uh, 6th Street, number 614. 614. 614. All right, that's fine. Well, let's go. Come on. You're not just trying to get me out of here. Of course not. Come on, pal. Come on. Okay. (laughs) You know, the funniest thing happened tonight, Casey. The funniest thing. Here's where he lives, Annie. Mm-hmm. I can only get him into his apartment. What do he do? Give you the number before he gets? Yeah, passed? 2B, second floor. All right, here goes. Hey, you're uh, not going to carry him. It's the only way he can be moved. But this oh. is a walk-up place, Casey. This is the stairs. Oh, poor guy isn't heavy. Open the door for me, will you, Annie? Oh, all right, sure. Mm. I'd better come along and help you with the apartment door, too. Yeah, if you don't mind, honey. An awful cheap-looking place. Well, guys don't usually come out of prison heavy with dough. Well, I wonder who's... What's he living on? Dixie Trumbull, a songwriter, was always Artie's closest pal. Imagine Dixie's putting him up for... He hasn't been on the chips lately either. Here we are. Here's 2B. Uh, I have to go through his pockets and find the key. Yeah, yeah. I'll prop him up right uh, here. Eh? Funniest thing happened. Hey, he's snapping out of it, Casey. Uh, funniest thing. Uh-oh. Passed out again. I wonder where he carries his key. Annie. Hmm? Look at this. Automatic pistol. This was in his pocket. This chump's just out of jail on parole. He's toting a gap. Uh-oh. This doesn't look good, Casey. Looks lousy. Hey, Annie. Huh? Gun was fired not long ago. Fire? Yeah, smell it. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let's look at the clip. Yeah. One cartridge missing. What do you think? Your guess is as good as mine. Funniest thing happened tonight. Man, I found his key. Here, Annie, unlock the door, will you? Yeah, okay. I'm going to snap this guy out of his days and ask him a few questions. All right, switch on the lights. Oh, yeah. Uh, here we are. How are you going to make him talk? Yeah, there. You find some coffee in that kitchenette, will you, Annie, while I hold this guy up? Yeah. Make a pot of triple strength while you're doing it. I'll be ducking this guy in a cold bath. Okay. All right now, Artie. You come into this bathroom. <clears throat> Get those clothes off, you. Yeah, funny thing happened tonight. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it won't seem so funny after you hit this cold water. Oh, let me out of here. Hey, uh, 
I tell you, she don't push my head under the Daniel Freeze. All right, Artie. Okay, okay. I think you're on the sober side now. Come on, get out of the tub, put on your clothes. Come out. Yeah. Lady's making some hot coffee. Lady? Yeah, a friend of mine. Oh, I'll leave you alone now. Don't be long. I want to have considerable talk with you. Talk? What about? Stay to your health. Get dressed and hurry. Is he okay, Casey? He knows what's going on around him now. Did he tell you anything? I haven't mentioned the gun. Let's have another look at that thing. Foreign make. 29.5 caliber. The pearl grip on it. It looks like a woman's gun. Yeah. Hey, it's funny. Phil Blaney was killed with a fancy little gat like this. You mean the man Maddox went to jail for killing? Yes. The bullet they took out of his head was a 29.5. I remember because it's an unusual caliber for pistol ammunition. Oh? See, in this country, we standardize pretty much on 22s, 25s, and 32s. Like the cartridge Logan handed me today, 38s and 45s. What? Someone's trying the outside door. Yeah. Who's there? Open up, we're police. Police? Open up, Maddox, or we'll blast our way in. Hey, that's Sergeant Flanagan's voice. It's the last warning, Maddox. Hold everything, Flanagan, and I'll let you in. Casey, what are you doing here? Mind if I ask you the same question? We've come to arrest Maddox for murder, that's all. Murder? Who? Gypsy Hibbert. Gypsy Yeah. She was killed about two hours ago in her apartment. Now then, where's Maddox? Why do you think Maddox had anything to do with it? He was seen leaving the building she lives in. She was shot with the same kind of gap that killed Blaney five years ago. A 29-5 automatic. Hey, Casey, Let me do that... the talking, Ann. The only talk I want to hear right now is the answer to where's Maddox. He's here, Flanagan. Where? In the bathroom. There. Uh-huh. All right, bring him out, Sam. I'll cover you with my gun. Right, sorry. Hey, Casey, he killed that woman with a gun. Maybe not, Ann. Maybe not. Don't mention that gun. Now. The bathroom, Sarge. He's gone. What? Hey, that open window. He must have swung under the fire escape and got away. Casey, you're to blame for him getting away. I am. You stalled me here while he was going out that window. I wasn't stalling you. Uh, we'll see what Captain Logan thinks about it. You know, you've got me in a jam, pal. Well, I'll make Logan see you weren't to blame. Where is he? At the late Gypsy Hibbert's apartment. Trying to find out just what happened there. Well, let's go. I want to find out what happened at the late Gypsy Hibbert's apartment, too. Mother's Day has become a fine American tradition, and many Americans make it a point to show their appreciation of Mother's role as homemaker by sending her bright flowers and also practical gifts, useful items to lessen her work and increase her enjoyment. And that's why a complete set of Fire King oven glass is so appropriate. As an experienced homemaker, she'll tell you how much better food tastes when baked in Fire King oven glass and how tempting is the appetizing clean look as the piping hot food is brought to the table. And as for cutting down her housework, well, Fire King oven glass cuts dishwashing time by a full two-thirds for you bake, serve, and reheat food in the same casserole or baking dish. Fire King Oven Glass has a beautiful pale blue color which adds charm to any table. Every piece is guaranteed for two years against oven breakage. Now you'll find complete sets at your favorite chain, variety, hardware, or department store. The ideal gift for Mother's Day or any day. Fire King Oven Glass is a product of Anchor Hawking. The most famous name in glass. That's why we were in Artie Maddox's apartment, Logan. That's all we know about him. Well, when you undressed him before you stuck him in a cold tub, Casey, he didn't run across a gun in his clothes. I I wasn't looking for a gun. Now, suppose you give Ann and me the lowdown on this shooting, pal. Well, a guy called up headquarters. uh, Wouldn't give his name, but he told us to pick up Lou Carboni and ask him why he'd just killed his ex-wife. Ask Lou Carboni why he'd killed Gypsy Hibbert? Yeah. So two of my men went to Carboni's home. They found him playing poker with three guys who said he hadn't left the house all evening. Hmm. At the same time he was being checked, I came here to Gypsy Hibbert's apartment. Got the super to let me in, and 
Found her lying on the living room floor with a 29.5 slug in her head. Somebody told you they'd seen Artie Maddox leaving the building. Yeah, the superintendent. And checking the time he saw Maddox leave with the medical examiner's finding, the woman must have been shot just a few minutes before. Have you any idea who made that call to headquarters, Captain? Oh, I think Maddox made it. He killed Gypsy Hibbert because she married another guy, Lou Carboni, after Maddox took the rap for her in that Blaney shooting. Maddox hated Carboni, too, for getting the gal he wanted, so he tries to frame Carboni for the murder he's just committed himself. You know, Carboni wasn't on good terms with his ex-wife. He wasn't seen near this building tonight. Maddox was. A real murderer would take good care not to be seen. Oh, yeah. yeah? Sergeant Flanagan, Captain. Now, come in, Sergeant. Carboni wants to know if he can go now, sir. Carboni's here? Yeah, yeah, I was questioning him in the kitchen before you arrived. I'll talk to him, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Uh, Captain wants you, Mr. Carboni. Captain, it's so late. I uh, wonder... Carboni, you can go home now. But don't leave there without letting me know where I can reach you. Very well. Hello, Carboni. Oh. Hello, Casey. <laughs> Sergeant Flanagan tells me you helped the murderer of my ex-wife make his escape tonight. I don't believe Flanagan told you that. That I didn't, Casey. All I said <laughs> no. was... That he... Don't take me seriously. I was only kidding. Doesn't seem like a good time for kidding. You're in a spot, Carboni. What do you mean by that? Can't you figure it? Why, you... Never mind. Go on home, Carboni. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Perhaps you'd better tell Casey about my alibi, Captain. He has told me. It's a very good one. Good night. Oh. Well, Annie and I will be running along too, Logan. Our bad luck, this case had to break too late for a morning paper. <laughs> that is tough, isn't it? And I expect to have Art Maddox under arrest long before your next edition, so the afternoon sheets will get first crack at that news, too. Where do you expect to find Maddox? Well, there's a general alarm out. We'll pick him up. Say, you used to know him pretty well. Maybe you have an idea where he died out. I didn't even know where he lived until after I ran into him at the Blue Note tonight. Come on, Annie. Casey. Let's go, kid. Good night, Logan. All right. Casey, you you suppressed evidence. And you didn't tell Logan about that gun you found. You were swell, kid. You didn't tell him either. There's the outside door. But we've got to tell him. Otherwise, we're accessories. We won't to... bother with the elevator, Annie. Let's walk down. We're not leaving until you give that gun to Logan. Well, yes, we are. Come on. No. Give him the gun later. After I have a talk with Maddox. Talk with you know where I find it? I think so. Makes another little item I've suppressed. Why? Well, let's call it a hunch, Annie. I have a feeling that if the cops find Artie before I do, if they have that gun that seems to clinch his guilt, he hasn't got a chance. And he didn't shoot Gypsy Hibbert any more than he killed Phil Blaney. You think Carboni did it? What I'm thinking of now is locating Maddox. Well, where are you going to look for him? Well, he needs a friend tonight, dependable friend. His closest pal is that songwriter, Dixie Trumbull. All right, we're heading for Dixie's place. I ain't set eyes on Artie for two, three days, Casey. On the level, he ain't here. Oh, listen, Dixie. Miss Williams and I want to help the guy. He needs help. Don't give me a wrong steer. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. And I got no idea where Artie is. It's okay, Dixie. Hello, Artie. Why, you said not to let anyone know you were here. Casey's my friend. Yes. This should convince you of that, fellow. Oh, the gun. I figured you'd found it on it. And Casey didn't tell the police about it. I'll take the shells out of it. Put it here on this table until you tell me what to do with it. What does the gat mean, Artie? And what's the stuff about cops? I haven't told you, Dixie, because the less you know, the less trouble you'll have. I'll go out and take a walk for half an hour. Please, Dixie. Okay, pal. Guess you've got a good reason for asking. I have. That's all I need to know. See you later. I can't have him mixed up in this case. He's too grand a guy. This apartment of his was the only place I knew of to go after I ducked out that bathroom window. I spent five years in prison. I can't go back there. I heard the cops say he was looking for me. I lost my head. What were you doing at Gypsy Hibbers tonight? You don't think I killed her? I'd have given the cops that gun if I had. I told them to look for you here. Come on, let's have a lowdown. Okay. You know, I was crazy about Gypsy before. Yes, yes, I knew. Before. 
Well, after I came out of jail, she wouldn't see me or even talk to me over the phone. Last night, I made up my mind I'd see her. I had to. Then, <laughs> it was funny. It's the funny part we want to hear about. Well, I, I, I sneaked up to her apartment. A guy in stairs showed me how to pick locks, and I, I sat in the dark waiting for her to come home. Finally, the outside door was opened with a key. It was Lou Carboni. Carboni? Yes, he sat down in the next room and waited in the dark. Then the door opened again. It was Gypsy this time. <laughs> he told her why he'd come to kill her. But then I watched him do it. You watched Why him? did Carboni kill her? <laughs> it was funny, Casey. It was, it was so funny I couldn't raise a hand to stop him. Come on, hold on to yourself, buddy. What did he say <laughs> well, to her? She had been blackmailing him, you know, threatening to tell the cops it was really Carboni who killed Blaney. Carboni killed Blaney? And I had, I had taken the rap because Gypsy told, told me she had killed Blaney. She was protecting Carboni then at my expense. Then she married Carboni and they got to hate each other. And tonight, he killed her while I was there to, to watch. <laughs> it wasn't a funny case. It wasn't, it wasn't funny. <laughs> Come on, Artie. What happened after Carboni shot her? Come on, Artie. Pull out of it. Pull out of it. He wiped his fingerprints off the gun. He put it in her hand to look as though she'd committed suicide. But he didn't know I was watching. Then he let himself out the back way. He like now. It was a crazy thing to do, but I, I picked up the gun. I put it in my pocket. I thought he'd spoil his suicide setup. Then I got out of the place. I phoned the cops to pick him up. Artie, no jury's going to believe the story you just told us. I know that. But Carboni's not going to be free and alive while I pay for another murder he's committed. What do you mean? I got another gun before I came to Dixie's. You see... I'm going to kill Lou Carboni. Marty, give me that gun. Keep back, Casey. I'm going to kill Carboni today before the cops can find me. Don't be a fool. You've just said no jury will believe my story. Give me that gun. Keep back. You, you won't shoot me. Not to kill you. I'll let you have it. He will shoot, Casey. Look at him. Okay, Eddie. Now, you two get into this clothes closet. I'm sorry, but this is the way it's got to be. It's a foolish way, Artie. It's the only way. No, no, let me go. Oh, Cassie. Give me back that gun. Not a chance. I never figured you for a killer, Artie. You're not going to louse me up by shooting Carboni or anybody else. Thanks, Casey. Hey. Drop the gun you just took from him, Casey. Drop it. Carboni. Yes, there's nothing else I can do, Carboni. Thanks. Now all of you move back against that wall. You see Maddox? Like Casey, I figured you'd hide out with Dixie Trumbull. Why did you come here? That gun I planted beside my late wife's body wasn't found there. And I leave nothing to chance. When your bodies are found, Casey, it'll be thought that Maddox killed you and this lady before committing suicide. Mm, same old gag, the gun to be found in Artie's hand. Same as you met that one on the table to be found in Gypsy's. It's always a good gag before a jury. And I'll use the gun on that table, the one that... Killed my former wife. Then there'll be no doubt that you did all the shooting, Maddox. Are you? You keep quiet, Artie. He'd better. <laughs> Sweet little gun, this 29.5 automatic. <laughs> Always like these imported gas. Well, you take the first slug from it, Casey. But what's wrong? That 29.5 isn't loaded, Carboni. The shells are in my pocket. Give them to me. You can't hold your other gun and load the automatic, too. You can load it. With its barrel pointed at Miss Williams. You can make a single phony move. All right. I know when I'm licked. Take the gun. Put a shell in its chamber first. Okay. Now load the clip. This suits you. Hold the gun by the barrel and slide the clip in. Now what? Put the gun on the table. Don't get your finger near the trigger. There. <laughs> nice little guns. Those 29 vibes. Get ready to take it, Casey. Okay. I got you and the lady into this, Casey. You'll get the second slug, Maddox. Then Miss Williams. Now, Casey. So long. <laughs> With that shell, Carboni, so long to you. The gun blew up. Yes, it exploded right in his face. Right in his face. 
Wasn't it funny? Huh. Wasn't it funny? We'll join the crowd at the Blue Note in just a moment. Last week, we told you about a sensational announcement from Anchor Hawking, which was to be made on the air tonight. However, we're obliged to postpone this exciting announcement until next Thursday, so be sure to tune in Crime Photographer one week from tonight. Now, meanwhile, surveys show that a vast majority of women prefer to buy foods packed in crystal clear glass. They give dozens of different reasons, but practically all say they prefer glass because it lets them see exactly what they buy before they buy it. Of the hundreds of young mothers questioned about baby food containers, eight out of nine say they not only prefer, but insist on prepared baby foods packed in glass. And their most important reasons are that glass is cleaner and more sanitary, and that leftovers can be resealed and safely stored in the original container. Now you too can enjoy these advantages in buying foods. Simply demand foods packed in glass, in anchor glass containers, sealed by tamper-proof anchor vacuum caps. Both products of Anchor Hawking. The most famous name in glass. explanation, of course, is very simple, Ethelbert. You see, I, I forced the 32 caliber cartridge Logan gave me yesterday into the chamber of that 29.5 caliber automatic. It wouldn't pass through a barrel that was too small by two and a half hundredths of an inch. You remember, uh, remember, Ethelbert, that inventor's machine gun that blew up because the shells were too large? Oh, yeah. yeah. The explosion didn't kill Carboni, huh? No. He'll live to go to the chair. And as for Artie Maddox, well, the criminal record he never deserved is being wiped off the book. So he'll just live again. Funny, wasn't it? Yeah. Funny. Very funny. Crime Photographer, starring Stotts Cotsworth as Casey, is brought to you each Thursday by the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation, makers of Fire King Oven Glass, Anchor Glass Containers, Anchor Caps and Closures, all products of Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. Photographer is directed by John Deets. The original music is by Archie Blyer, and the program features Miss Jan Minor as Anne and John Gibson as Ethelbert. The part of Maddox was played by Lawson Zerby, and Herman Chittison is the Blue Note pianist. If you're under 35 and are a high school graduate, you may be able to qualify for a nursing career. As the need for nurses is urgent, check with your local hospital on how to apply for training. This is Tony Marvin saying goodnight for the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation of Lancaster, Ohio, with offices in all principal cities of the United States and Canada. Thursday night on CBS is the biggest show in town, so stay tuned for exciting dramatizations on Reader's Digest Radio Edition, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's going to do it for Case Closed this week. Hope you enjoyed today's stories. You can find more from Sherlock Holmes, Casey, crime photographer, Case Closed, and all of the other Relic Radio podcasts at relicradio.com. 
thousands of podcast episodes to listen to and a shoutcast stream. Enough old-time radio to fill your day, and if you'd like to help support this and all of the Relic Radio shows, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. We've got some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts, though any amount is always appreciated and helpful. Thanks again to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. I'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed.